I'm Kendall Giles, and this is the Techno Slipstream Podcast, where we explore what you need to know about the intersection of science, technology, and society. This is episode 14. I'm sure you've had this happen at some point in your life. You left fruit out on your kitchen counter too long, and then suddenly... There were these tiny fruit flies flitting about. But that tiny little fly, often referred to by their genus, Drosophila, has served as the foundation for our modern understanding of genetics. And as of 2017, there have even been six Nobel Prizes awarded to 10 scientists for their fruit fly research. The first scientist who kick-started this work was Thomas Morgan who received the Nobel Prize in 1933 for using Drosophila to uncover the role chromosomes play in heredity. As we discussed in last week's podcast episode, laboratory studies is a genre of research that focuses on how science is done in the laboratory. So in this week's episode, we'll dive into the book Lords of the Fly, Drosophila, Genetics, and the Experimental Life, by Robert Kohler, as an example of a laboratory study. This book is not so much about Thomas Morgan, but is more about the experimental research culture that developed around the use of Drosophila in the laboratory by Morgan and others, from about 1910 to 1940. In the book, Kohler shows how Drosophila became a standard laboratory instrument, that has served as a research platform for hundreds of scientists and thousands of experiments and publications. The book also highlights aspects of the laboratory that we discussed in the last episode. Okay, so we've got fruit flies, laboratory life, grants, experiments, mutations, and more. Let's dive in. The author of Lords of the Fly Robert Kohler is a professor emeritus in the Department of the History and Sociology of Science at the University of Pennsylvania. In addition to Lords of the Fly, among other books, he has also written All Creatures, Naturalists, Collectors, and Biodiversity, 1850-1950, Landscapes and Labscapes, Exploring the Lab Field Border in Biology, and Partners in Science, Foundations and Natural Scientists, 1900-1945. Published in 1994, Kohler in Lords of the Fly does not really focus on the theory or technology of chromosomal mapping. Chromosomal theory says that chromosomes are found within our cells, that genes are found on chromosomes, and that children inherit chromosomes from their parents during cell division. Though chromosome mapping technologies largely grew from the interests and experiments of Morgan's research assistants and associates, Morgan is credited with confirming chromosomal theory by determining that the gene for fruit fly eye color was on the X chromosome, thus confirming the Mendelian rules for the inheritance of dominant and recessive traits. Though the above is in the background of Lords of the Fly, the book instead puts the fruit fly front and center, showing how Morgan and his research team began using Drosophila for their experiments and were able to essentially evolve the wild fruit fly 
full of genetic variation, into a standard form, one with known specific traits and with all of nature's genetic variation bred out of it. Essentially, the fruit fly became an instrument for Morgan and his researchers, an instrument that served as an enduring research platform. In the book, Kohler shows the impact of the material culture of the scientists and fruit flies in Morgan's laboratory. I don't want to give too much agency to the fly, but there was a rather symbiotic relationship between the scientists and the flies. As the standardized fly allowed the scientists to make genetic discovery after discovery, the scientists in turn created equipment and work cultures to breed and keep the various strains of flies alive and happy. The scientists also developed a rather free and open sense of ownership of the research ideas and strains of flies they developed, as well as how they allocated credit in research publications, which is counter to most academic research relationships. In fact, the scientists freely shared their flies with other research labs around the world, which is one reason why the fly essentially became the standard animal for early genetics research. The members of Morgan's lab became known as the Fly Guys, and being known as studying Drosophila became an international mark of research status. In the last podcast episode, episode 13, we talked about Karen Nora Satina's article, Laboratory Studies, The Cultural Approach to the Study of Science, which argued for what makes laboratory studies its own research genre, apart from, say, experimental methodology studies and organizational studies. As we discussed, one of the factors that makes laboratories unique is that scientists in the lab do not study objects or processes in nature. Instead, the laboratory is essentially a virtual world where scientists used improved, cleaned, denoised, summarized, extracted, or purified objects from the real world. One of the things I like so much about this book is that it serves as a case study for this process of bringing nature into the lab, showing the ways Drosophila crossed the threshold from its form in nature to a form amenable for study in the laboratory. In nature, fruit flies provide no domesticated versions, no standard fruit fly with identifiable traits or characteristics. Wild flies are blends. There's too much variation, too much genetic noise to serve as a stable platform for experimentation in the lab. Kohler says, Natural selection and genetic drift had tinkered them into a genetic bricolage, harboring every kind of hidden genetic junk, modifiers, suppressors, lethals, and other odd genes, which did little harm in nature but caused drosophilists no end of trouble. This genetic variation was a problem in the laboratory where variability was seen as the enemy for controlled experiments. Controlling variability was perhaps the most important element in the construction of a standard Drosophila. Thus, efforts were conducted to transform Drosophila from a creature of nature to a creature of the lab in order to aid the scientists in their genetic mapping efforts. As opposed to, say, Mendelian analysis, genetic mapping technologies needed large-scale breeding to work. The scientists conducted a number of procedural changes in the lab to essentially turn cultivation and development of the fruit flies 
into a mass production scalable process, such as by developing specialized breeding incubators, controlling breeding over multiple generations, and developing artificial agar mediums to standardize the feeding of the fruit flies, similar to the idea of petri dishes for bacteria. Taking advantage of the fly's fast reproductive cycles and habit of producing large families, the scientists effectively turned the flies into 24-7 eating breeding machines. By selective breeding over many generations, the scientists were able to create a standard base stock. From that base stock, the scientists were able to create a number of stocks with specific reproducible genetic characteristics, such as white or purple eyes, black, brown, or yellow body colors, or various wing mutations. Essentially, the scientists were able to domesticate the fruit fly for laboratory use, much as we have domesticated dogs or cows, with the ability to produce specific genetic profiles. Another way the flies changed was that the lab was in some ways a harsh environment, but in other ways a supportive environment. Forms of the fly thrived in genetics labs that would have perished in the wild without leaving progeny. Once acclimated to the laboratory, with their unique characteristics such as adaptability to large-scale breeding efforts, the flies were especially suited for helping to answer experimental evolution questions. Kohler says, That is why Drosophila first found a habitable and expandable ecological niche in experiments on evolution. It was only in this line of work that its potential for mutation could be revealed. This niche became concrete, especially once the chromosome map technology was developed. Genetic mapping was invented as a practical system of classification and data management when the Neo-Mendelian system lost credibility and failed. The construction of the standard fly was a necessary, if unforeseen, consequence of that practical choice. Thus, some questions, such as those relating to the Neo-Mendelian system, were harder to explore with the domesticated Drosophila, while others, such as genetic mapping and experimental evolution, became easier. Kohler shows how Drosophila essentially underwent a social overhaul in crossing the threshold into the laboratory and exemplifies Norisatina's extraction and purification process for adapting objects of nature to the laboratory life. Standard Drosophila were, like chemical reagents or physical instruments, constructed artifacts of laboratory life. There is a lot more of interest in the book, such as the different relationships the scientists and staff had with each other as they built their careers around the tiny fruit flies. Friendships formed and disintegrated, and the original research team split up and changed over time as their fame grew and as the fruit fly became more of a limitation to research interests that shifted over time from chromosomal mechanics to developmental genetics to evolutionary genetics during the timescale of the book, 1910 to 1940. But after reading this book, I think you will really look differently at the little fruit flies flitting around the fruit in your kitchen. And after reading this book, you also might develop a more nuanced understanding of how science is done, especially in the laboratory. But one more thing I would like to mention regarding the history of genetics. As exemplified by this book, the history of genetics has, for the most part, been portrayed as being all male. 
The focus of the book is on the domestication of the fruit fly in Morgan's laboratory, where almost all scientists and staff were male, which may explain the lack of highlighting of female contributions. After all, the book is not titled Lords and Ladies of the Fly. But I did find it refreshing to read Women in the Early History of Genetics, William Bateson and the Newnham College Mendelians, 1900-1910, by Marsha Richmond. Richmond focuses on the decade just prior to the time period of Lords of the Fly, just before genetics itself became a proper field of research. The article highlights the work of the early Mendelian research William Bateson conducted at Cambridge University and the contributions of his mostly female research assistants and collaborators who were associated with the female Newnham College. Women were not admitted to full membership at Cambridge until 1946. The university was in fact quite hostile to women. Yet this article shows that women did make a contribution to genetics. And, in fact, Cambridge, for the most part, would not have made a mark in the history of genetics research without those women. And with that, we wrap up episode 14 of the Techno Slipstream podcast. Thank you for listening and head right on over to patreon.com slash Giles to give us some support. There you can sign up to get show transcripts, including links to the articles and books discussed in each episode, as well as additional writings. But in any case, thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'll see you in the Techno Slipstream.